music, you know, for all of the kind of rock and roll and avant-garde and whatever there is out there, it's a very, very traditional group of manufacturers from my perspective. This is what a music stand is, looks like. They've always been like this. Why would we change that? Hi, I'm Sean Parent, and you're listening to episode 163 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. Today's special guest on the program is David Law, who is the founder of Noisy Clan, a company that is reinventing the music stand as we know it. We discuss David's early work with companies like Apple and Audi, and what inspired him to switch gears and work on musical products instead. You can learn more about the We Stand, it's called, at www.noisyclan.com. That's noisyclan.com. I do suggest doing this before you listen to the episode today, just because the product's a little bit hard to imagine, you know, being invented by brilliant designers. It's uh, not something that might come to mind automatically, so do check it out. And there's also some videos and pictures there, which will really help you understand what it does and how it might revolutionize carrying around a portable music stand, which, as we we all know is one of the things that most musicians really hate doing. It's one of the most, I think anyways, the portable music stand, the wire stand we're all used to is probably the least liked musical accessory of any musician that they have. So really excited for today's episode, really excited to try this product. And thank you so much for listening today to the Clarinet Podcast. I also want to thank, of course, our Patreon backers for making the show possible. You can get access to extended ad-free episodes as well for as little as $1 per month at clarinet.com slash subscribe. And also, of course, to our season sponsors. The new Bakun Q-Series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé Clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at bakunmusical.com and use code CLARINET at checkout. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Cronager Freddy, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot com. So I'm here today with David Law, who is coming to me all the way from Scotland. He is the founder of a company called Noisy Clan, and we're here today to talk about their brand new and exciting product called the We Stand. So David, welcome to the Clarinet Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very nice to, to be here virtually. First of all, I want to sort of introduce you to our audience here because you're one of the few guests, I always joke, you're not a clarinet player, so we got to figure out why are you here? Why am I on? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you have a very amazing history. So if you could just quickly tell me, you know, how you got started with product design and you're stated as saying that you've worked for everything from Apple to Audi. I would love to hear some maybe product design stories and, and what that means. Yeah. Um, so my background is uh, product design engineering out of uh, Glasgow University and Glasgow School of Art here in Scotland. And that was in the 80s and 90s, kind of graduated early 90s. And then I moved to the States pretty, pretty early 92. And I started work for a company called IDEO, which is, um, was, is kind of one of the preeminent product design consult consultancies. And so they did work for everyone. So when I was there, I worked for Apple 
on Apple projects or doing mechanism design and a bunch of stuff. And then um, also did work for HP. Um, actually, for my Apple work, I was working on, a, you know, typically working on a small portion of a big project. Uh, so it was uh, one of the early laptop computers, which had a PC, PCMCIA. I don't know if you remember the acronym, but that was one of the memory cards. So I, I ended up in Japan for about a week or two, kind of working with a manufacturer on how to, you know, do something very Apple-ish with PCMCIA cards. So yeah, all over the place. In 96, I started my own design consultancy again in Silicon Valley. And that was, uh, we worked for Audi. So we did some concept cars for VW, little stuff. So yeah, we're all over the map, medical projects, toys, computers, um, fun, actually a lot of fun. That's fantastic. And the Apple thing is so interesting to me because I, I've been a big like Apple user for, for all these years, but I remember hearing about the iPhone in particular and some of these other projects, they would keep all the sort of engineering and design teams separate. So one team would work on the phone and one team would work on the software and one team would work on some little port. And but that's how they kind of maintain their secrecy around the product. I mean, they're very um, interesting client. They're probably the most secretive client that you, that I work for, but they're also kind of the most driven around fixing every little thing. Yeah. Well, that's why people love their products, right? Yeah. So they'll do a huge amount of exploration and you'll, what you eventually get to see is is typically a much smaller portion of of all the work they might have ever done. You know what the what you actually get to see is the refined kind of finished versions, but they've gone in a hundred different directions before they kind of decide. Oh, this is this is probably the best we're going to get. I imagine so. So that reminds me to uh, come to, right away to your experience with the Wii Stand because you know you talk about a hundred different directions. But for some reason, the music industry, you know, I was thinking about how to introduce this product to our listeners, but everyone knows the problem at hand. Why are music stands are horrible? <laughs> They're just the worst thing ever. And it blows my mind that they've just kind of maintained the same form factor for, I think, around 100 years. Like they've just sort of been there. They've been sort of the bane of every music musician's existence. So how did you decide to look at this product and go, wait a second, there could be something really better here. And what was sort of the engineering process like for that where you're exploring different ideas and designs and how did you come to the we stand that we now can can purchase it, i think it was mostly inspired by my daughter so we're living in california at the time and my daughter was going into fourth or fifth grade and every every fifth grader in that district got an instrument and so you know we went along to their instrument night and there's a whole bunch of teachers and they they get to experience the clarinet, the, you know, the oboe, the violin, the da, da, da. and uh, she ended up, um, I guess, kind of landing on the flute. So not too big an instrument. <laughs> but then she's going to her school and she would be in her bicycle. She'd have her lunch, her lunchbox. She'd have her backpack with all of her books in it. She'd have her uh, flute and then she'd have her music you know, it's in a folder, so it's in a three-ring binder. And then she'd have a music stand. So it's kind of like that little camel that was breaking the daughter's back. <laughs> you know, we'd like put it all on her and she'd, we'd see her kind of get to school and we're like, oh, okay, she made it. And you know what music stands are like. They're metal. They uh, have lots of kind of sharp points. You tend to, they tend to have to put them into a separate bag. Um, they're tricky to put up. I remember her, her music teacher kind of very early in the season uh, actually 
did a competition among the students to see who could put it up faster. And I think this was just her way of trying to get the students used to using the, the music stand and, and not slowing down her class. So that was the inspiration. And as a product designer, it's like, oh gosh, really? This is the best that we can do? And so from that impetus, uh, yeah, to your question, being all over the place. I mean, that's typical in, I think, in any creative pursuit. Because um, I, I, you know, I play music myself and I think about the creative process and how I relate kind of my, my professional practice to my amateur music practice. And, um, you know, in the professional practice of design, there's a lot of paths that you kind of need to explore before you end up in uh, what you think is the best place. I mean, we've got, there's probably three years of prototypes of going down different paths of thinking about different solutions. We, we initially started kind of thinking, well, they have to have their folder. So that's a pretty bulky thing, three ring binder. So why don't we try and integrate the stand into a folder? And so kind of we, we built prototypes. I uh, took it to a music camp I went to. I mean, ultimately realized, hmm, this is not going down very well. So for those who can't see or haven't seen it yet, check it out. The website's noisyclan.com, but I'm going to try and describe what it looks like so you can imagine it here. It's kind of like a tripod with three long legs. It looks almost like a camera stand or something, but it folds up to be about the size of a uh, pencil case or so it seems. And it's about as heavy as a water bottle, so it's not too heavy. It's not too big, but it can actually go full height. So it could sit on your desk and just be music on your desk or sorry, uh, full height, meaning full height expandability. So you can go from basically zero to, to several feet tall. Um, so you can use it standing, you can use it sitting, you can use it as a guitarist, you can use it on your, on your desk at, at your computer. Um, so it's really versatile. It doesn't have any of these sort of pointy ends. It does look a bit like a flat kind of folder idea, which is great, which means that you can hold up not only your music, but also something like an iPad. So it's it's very rigid too. But it's kind of hard to imagine just based on the description. So do go check it out. Pause this episode. Head to noisyclan.com. And they've got some kind of in interesting pictures that you can check out to, to sort of make yourself aware of how this object looks. and Because uh, it is quite unique and different from a normal music stand, which is part of the reason I find it so compelling. I do want to go more into that. But I something else dawned on me that was, I'm not sure... You must have considered, but I'm not a product designer. So my mind, when I see a problem like you faced, the first thing I would do is go to Amazon or Walmart or whatever store and try and find the product that I'm looking for first before designing my own. <laughs> did you also try that first or did you go straight to the design process in your head? Typically, I'll always kind of look at what's out there. I mean, design, you're not, it's not a blank slate. Typically, it's like, okay, well, what already exists how can we riff on that? Um, what's what's not working with what's out there? And so <clears throat> that's a very typical design process of what have other people thought of <laughs> and can we build on what they've got? And um, I mean, the depressing thing about doing that is that, you know, I, the reason I think there's a lot of what I'd consider bad music stands out there is just they're so incredibly cheap. So the patents from like 19, I want to say like 1912, it's like a, literally 100 years old that the first uh, metal kind of the classic, what people think of as music stand was invented. And it hasn't really changed form factor wise. But so it's, you know, it's not patented. It's been in the market for a long time. There's, you know, any number of 
Asian manufacturers who can churn them out for $5 or less. And so we end up with these $12, $20 music stand, which, you know, everyone has one, right? And they never really work quite the way they want them. And so, I mean, we're unfortunately very expensive and it's kind of hard when you start because you start, you don't have scale, you don't, you know, we're using different materials, we're using um, uh, carbon fiber lags and things like that. So um, our kind of scale of purchasing, you know, everyone charges more than they would, you know, the, the typical kind of manufacturers. So uh, it's kind of this tension between, well, there's the stuff that's way down here is just because there's thousands and millions of them. And we're going to try and bring the price down over time. But we ended up more expensive than I'd want to be just because of the base materials where we ended up. I think that's not necessarily a bad thing, though, at first, because, I mean, I have played many gigs where the typical music stand has just failed in every way. And I'm sure that everyone listening to this knows exactly what I mean. It blows over in the wind. You know, you catch your finger on it, putting it together. It's bent in your backpack, like any number of bizarre things can happen with that. It doesn't hold an iPad well. You can't set your folder on it. It's too heavy and it just doesn't work, right? So there's many professionals, I think, that at this point, people are used to paying $50, 60 $100 for a tuner or something. So I think that if a music stand that they can you know, carry with them for 10 years, it's durable and will let them actually read the stuff they're there to perform, I think that there's a market for that. I mean, I hope so. I mean, our goal is, and the thing I don't like is when, you know, they're, they're only out of reach for the majority of people. So my goal is to create something which which everyone can have. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I appreciate what you just said. <laughs> well, that was one of my questions, though, about the long term of this product, though, um, not to get ahead of ourselves, but I was going to ask, how do you plan to bring the price down? Is it material changes? Would it be just, you know, scale and hoping to bring the manufacturing cost per unit down or? All of what you just said. Um, so it's volume. You know, we're just literally just launched um so we just ordered our first batch so there's that uh, so the way i think about uh, product innovation is is a classic kind of project management triangle i don't know if you're familiar with that let's go over it for those listening yeah and watching each corner would be innovation in one corner cost in another corner and speed on another corner and so you essentially have to say okay where within that triangle does this project lie and so typically, um, if you're on super innovative, you're not fast and you're not cheap. If it's all about cost, then you, you tend to lose innovation. And again, you lose speed. And if it's all about speed, then you're typically not innovative and your cost is high again. Um, so when you think about um, innovation, if you're truly being innovative, the first time you ever do it, it's, it's going to be more expensive. Like it's just the, by the nature of the beast. And then next year we can come back and say okay well now we can just slow down and say how can we reduce cost reduce this without you know damaging any of the qualities that it already has so you know where's the opportunity what are people what's the feedback from users what are, do they say well we really love this but i don't really use that at all so maybe there's opportunity to kind of remove something or kind of think about different materials the list is 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 fairly large about and it's always kind of eking out pennies yeah, I bet. It's kind of you find 10 cents here and another 10 cents there. Before you know it, you've got to a dollar in savings. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, we're just trying to get uh, distributors and 
the, the list is long of, of the things you need to do to, to actually get it onto a shelf where somebody can walk into a store and say, oh, I have one of those. I can't imagine. You know, something people probably don't consider too, though, behind the scenes. Like it's, oh, look at this cool product. And then what's going on <laughs> behind the scenes to make it really happen, right? Yeah, and it's super interesting trying to do it in COVID times. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So were you launching at the beginning of all this kind of the, the Kickstarter or when did the Kickstarter launch? Or sorry, Indiegogo was what you're using. Yeah. So Kickstarter, it was Kickstarter. So we launched in July. Um, and then August finished and went on to um, Indiegogo in demand. But this project, you know, I've been working on it for three years, started to get, you know, much more serious about it uh, pretty much when COVID hit. Hired a, hired a design engineer um, and started ramping up and doing more prototyping and kind of really trying to figure out what, what this thing should be. And so, you know, we've never, never been to China to our, and typically I'd always go over there and kind of sit in the floor with the engineers and work through all the production issues. So that slowed down the whole process because now we have to, you know, have stuff, something made, then they'll send it over. We'll take a look at it, give them feedback. And there's always a little bit of language barrier unless you're sitting in the same room and kind of can sketch in a piece of paper with them. So you weren't able to do any of the normal stuff basically. <laughs> yes, it, it is. And so much of that stuff is in person. And I know, especially because I've been to Japan and, and uh, they're very much oriented around the in-person meeting. I'm not sure how it is in China, but I, I know that that's part of their culture differently than here. So I wonder how they've adapted to these sort of COVID times. But you, you just sort of blown my mind because are you telling me that there's so much interest in this you know, startup that you had 2,500 backers on Kickstarter for over a quarter million dollars and... There's been another 2,500 on Indiegogo for over $300,000 now? No, 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 no. Um, so they just take the, the money raised from Kickstarter and use that as the starting point. Oh, and they integrate it. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Indiegogo is, it's a way to continue sales. Oh, I didn't know that you could do that. Okay. Yeah, so it's a, a, only Indiegogo has it. So it's called In Demand and it allows you to keep pre-selling until you actually start shipping. Okay, so the Kickstarter kind of got turned into an Indiegogo and went on from there? Yeah. That is still amazing, though. So just for those listening, um, we've talked to some other people on here who've been, you know, fundraising for a CD project <laughs> like myself and managed to raise, you know, $2,000 or whatever. We're talking the level of interest here is into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, and there's over 2,500 people. So can you still, like if you're listening to this and you wanted to potentially purchase one of these, does that mean the Indiegogo is still running then? We could still head on here and... Oh, absolutely. And um, still have discount on there from the MSRP. So, um, I mean, that's the advantage of the, the pre-purchase is in order to, I mean, we give a concession because, you know, it's, it's a great benefit to us so that we know how many orders are coming in. We can be much more sure about what our first um, quantity order would be from the factory. And so it's, you know, we've ordered it already, but without that assurance that, oh, you know, is this many people involved? You're just like, oh, well, how many should I order? Is it 500? Is it 1,000? Is it 10,000? So that's, that's why, you know, Kickstarter and places like that, you get the discount because there's obviously a, an element of uncertainty. And kind of part of the, yeah, the startup, literally making it happen. So let's talk about some of the other problems that it solves. And uh, again, if you're listening, this is a bit of an odd episode because we are asking you to sort of imagine an incredibly creative product, which took, like he said, several years to come up with himself. So um, if you haven't actually seen it at this point, you're going to want to do that so you know what it is we're talking about. But No clarinets involved in the making of this project. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you about a couple of the design features. So 
I see that you've got these, it says sheet saver tabs. So is that so when you're using one piece of paper, you can kind of tuck the edges into the corners, right? Yeah, I mean, so to give you a context, our goal with the, with the stand was to make it as extremely small and light as possible. So uh, I consider this a, a out-of-home music stand. So, you know, you're going to have a better music stand if you have like, you know, a, a solid big old thing, which is in a studio or is that, is that your home? It, it, I'm not trying to replace that. Uh, so this was like, okay, if I'm going outside the house and I have to slip it into my bag, into my gig bag or you know, my backpack, that's what I'm trying to re replace the existing music stands because there's just nothing there that really addresses it. So it's kind of being very clear about what it, what it does. So it needed to be ultra portable. And then we needed to try and accommodate as wide a range of media as possible. And so um, we have the ability to kind of slip in a single piece of paper and hold it pretty securely so that when you're out and it's windy, you know, you hopefully you can cope with the wind. We have your typical kind of, I don't know what you call them, but media retainers, the little springs on typical ones. So we have those as well. Because it's so small, we can't get as wide a media plate as normal, you know, just because it's, it's difficult to do and so we kind of had to compromise in that um that our two when we have two uh, a4 or letter size sheets on there they sit side by side and they're kind of held to get they're held in by um some tabs but they overlap on the sides and then obviously you can take an ipad and um a, a folder overlaps but we had people saying well i like to have four or five sheets on my music on my music stand we're like oh sorry, next product will we'll be able to help you. Which is, I mean, it's, what's been fascinating about the process is, you know, the, the amount of feedback we've been able to gather from people. Because uh, people are passionate about their music, they're passionate about their accessories. And so it's been fantastic to kind of have such a, I mean, we're getting comments from all over the world, like, well, that, you know, some of them are negative, some of them are, most of them are positive, but we're like, oh, well, that sucks because, I, you know, I want to have four sheets side by side without flipping um, and stuff like that. So it's just that the ability to get that kind of feedback is just wonderful. You know, just as a, as a, a, a the way to impact the design process. It's funny someone would, re would request that because a normal music stand can't really hold four sheets side by side either, unless you're using two or... Well, there's a Manhasset kind of maybe concert one, which is extra wide. It's like 800 millimeters. Yeah, I used to have one of those actually, but it's it's not really a normal <laughs> expectation for any music stand, let alone a portable one. It's a little one. bit of a beast, yeah. Yeah, I think that person better get themselves an iPad pretty quick. <laughs> I know. I mean, it seems like people are kind of narrowing down to iPad. That's great. Do you think that it's going to... Um, like, how is it going to hold up in the wind, though? Because one of the things you mentioned is how light it is. It is super light. So, you know, that was one of the, uh, you know, we, we had an early prototype. I took it out, I, you know, wandered around, took some pictures of it, put it, put it up, put my iPad on, it blew over. <laughs> but is there an ability, like I see a, a counterweight strap here. So does that mean you can hang something there to? That, you know, that experience was like, oh, okay, well, we've made it so light that, you know, a wind is just going to blow this thing over. And so that's where we said, okay, well, how do we add weight to it without adding weight? And so um, we added a strap. We um, made the strap with a, a latch so you can uh, unlatch and hook it around something. So if you've got your backpack, you can just hang your backpack and that kind of adds to the, to the stability of the stand. So you can kind of deal with the fact that it's super light by adding weight to it. 
I think that's so smart because, and this actually, when I was watching some videos and stuff about this, I really hope to try one of these one day. So I'll uh, report back when I actually do. But you keep the stand in your backpack, the stand comes out, gets set up, and then the backpack acts as a weight on the stand and helps support the stand. That is so cool. What a smart idea. And you know, also, I'm imagining marching band classrooms all over the country that are going to be so much more clean because <laughs> the students just hang their bag on, this, on the stand and they've got their, you know, everything they need right there. That's a super, super kind of cool element to this. So you found, though, that that will prevent it from kind of having problems in, in the wind, eh? Yeah. Okay. If you've ever played a wedding or something outside and your music hasn't blown away on you, <laughs> you're not a real musician. <laughs> well, does, whether the music stand blows over, right? Or in your face. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's another question I had for you. Do you did you do any studies about or are there any studies or information about, and I mean this in all seriousness, injuries caused by the other type of stands? Like they're sharp. I mean, I'm I'm imagining people poke their eyes. They've you know, clipped their fingers in there. They've, uh, you know, poked someone else with it. I mean, I don't know. They seem so dangerous. But uh, was there any kind of review of the safety element and improvement on that? I laugh, but uh, we, we haven't done uh, any official kind of survey. But anecdotally, every single person I've ever talked to said, oh, yeah, you know, I've like jammed my finger and especially the folding metal ones. And that was one of the goals was the ability to kind of be able to have a stand which, um, you know, you could you could throw in your gig bag and you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be too worried about it. You know, it doesn't have any sharp edges. The metal it has metal parts, but they're all hidden. The plastic on the outside is pretty kind of soft and rounded. So, um, yeah, I mean, the goal was to make it so that you could carry it. I mean, we, we say you can carry it in your pocket if you have a large pocket. <laughs> you can shove it in your... <laughs> and how is the page turning? Because one thing I don't like about normal music stands is that, first of all, if you have a larger book, you, can, you can't really fit it on there. It's kind of meant for just two sheets. But on your website here, you're showing someone with like, it looks to be an entire book of like, I don't know what type of music it is, but it looks like piano music that's like at least an inch or two thick. Um, can you really put a big book like that on there and turn the pages comfortably with this? You can. I mean, I think print, turning pages in any media stand, uh, music stand is, is less than optimal. Um, so we have retainers that uh, flip out the little plastic blue things, if you see it in the video, which prevent the pages flipping um, but then it, I would you know categorically say they're not as good as some of those long super springy ones that you get on kind of more permanent music stands they're kind of if you that's why I bring this this is definitely a compromise around you know we can't do everything and so how, how do we do everything as, as best as possible well, I think you're well on the way I think it's a great idea and I definitely love a lot of the pictures and videos that I've seen and I, I can't wait to get my hands on one of these to try it out so we're definitely i mean we're in production right now we're just hopefully getting our golden one of the guys called it our our golden copy <laughs> which means like this is the blessed one this is like we're full steam ahead after that we'll we'll definitely send you one i mean i think what was interesting to you earlier was like how little things change and i think kind of music you know for all of the kind of rock and roll and avant-garde and whatever there is out there. It's a very, very traditional kind of group of manufacturers from my perspective. And so there's not that much innovation that seems to happen. Like this is what a music stand is, looks like. They've always been like this. Why would we change that? We're already kind of 
close in our next music stand, which is more of a home-based kind of version of how do we reinvent the, the, the home music stand? You know, it's got different, different criteria and different uh, restrictions and what you might, might do or not do. And so it's just interesting that I think there's a lot of opportunity in the music space for innovation that really helps users. Absolutely. And you're totally right about music being kind of a time capsule art sometimes. I mean, if you look at the, uh, the Fender guitars, for example, I've always thought that they look so cool and so unique, but really they're just straight out of the 50s and everything kind of looked like that in the 50s. And they literally have not changed it's true. <laughs> since that time. And uh, other instruments are like this, too. I mean, the clarinet. Um, I work for a clarinet manufacturing company called Bakun. They have some instruments that are different key platings and different woods and things like that, but or extra keys are available. And but there's people out there that like these extra keys are like a heinous crime. <laughs> it's like, you know, why would you do that to the instrument? You know, it's 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 been perfect for 200 years or whatever. I mean, you think about guitars because that's my instrument of choice. What's great now is just the explosion of manufacturing, which has brought the price of a really good guitar down. I mean, I guess I haven't seen that so much in more classical instruments. And I, I, I'm just not from more, I'm not familiar with, but the guitar has had such an, and also like the ukulele, like the ukulele used to be a joke of an instrument, like always out of tune, not very well built. And now, you know, the ukulele is definitely such a gateway uh, instrument because they're so well made, they're inexpensive, you can carry them around. It is fascinating, and that's just around the manufacturing. Absolutely. And the interesting thing about the price point, too, before we move on, is something like a guitar, there's still the basic ones you can buy, but the, the upper-level ones have extended way outside of what they used to cost. Like, you can now buy a you know a Fender Strat that's like, I don't know, diamond inlays or something with gold-plated hardware for like five ten thousand dollars $10,000. But you can get one that'll take you you know basically through your career as a, as a startup player for like a couple hundred bucks. That's, some, that's remarkable. Right. I mean, but it also reflects there's a lot of kind of disposable income. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned you're thinking about redesigning the home music stand too. And that was one of my questions actually was what is next for Noisy Clan? The implication with the company not being called We Stand and being called something else, the implication for me was that there's more products planned. So can you tell us about anything else you're planning? So we're going to, you know, the, the We Stand is our, what I'd call our ultra portable out of house um, stand. And the, the grandstand is, is our next one that's coming out, hopefully in the fall. I mean, it's, it's for the home. It's like, what's the problem with the home? You want a, you want a more robust version. You're, not, you're less worried about weight, uh, but you are really concerned around stackability or at least uh, storability. And so current music stands, even the ones that, even the higher end ones, they just, they always have to be out. That's so funny you say that because my Manhasset stand is over there right now. I keep my office very minimal. I always want to put it away. and <laughs> I can't put it away easily. That's our epiphany. Yeah, it would be that you know, we want to have a great music stand. So it does everything. It holds all your stuff. And I also want to just get rid of it. Yeah, when you're not practicing, right? Right. When, when I don't really need it, just have it disappear. And so it's all around storability. Uh, and then kind of the other innovation, we're, we're, we're essentially going to have all the media plates be swappable. So hot swappable media plates. Uh, so you could have you could have your big one. You could have your normal size one. We're looking at just an iPad attachment, and kind of using it as a platform. So the top section would be kind of like removable, and and uh, you could put something else on it if you wanted to. Yeah, 
because uh, we were asked by more than one uh, magician during our campaign saying, we love this, you know, we do gigs outside. Have you ever thought about, can this, be, can this fold up to become a table? <laughs> so um, one, of the, one of the things we'll do with this one is kind of change the pivot point of, uh, we, we use friction hinges in our media plate so you can kind of easily position it. So that's one of our other innovations. <laughs> I did that with quotation mark. Um, but you know, rather than the, the knob and the, the screw, which is your typical, which takes, you know, that's the part that fails. It's hard to adjust. You know, if you've got something on there, you can have to position it and then tighten it and then hope you've got it in the right position. So with, with the Wii stand, you can just position it, but it's kind of weight limited because uh, just of all the geometry, it's hinged on the end. And so obviously just by physics, if you're hinging on the end, then you've got a long lever arm. And so with the, the home stand, we're doing hinging in the middle. So you could have a table, you could put lots of weight on there and, and um, ability to kind of use it as a table. So yeah, we're, you know, the, as far as like next products, we're definitely um, got a couple of um, music stands. So the, the grandstand, and then we're going to do um, what I'd call a school version, which is uh, trying to bring down both the flexibility because you don't want too much flexibility in a, with all those students and inc you know maximize its robustness and reduce its cost so school version um the home version and then kind of getting into holding instruments because we think there's a lot of opportunity in the way instruments are held right now i'm a huge believer in just having an instrument around yeah well you're more likely to practice if you just grab it and go you are if it's you've got that psychological i gotta open up the case gotta bring it out are you familiar with the Con Marie? This is kind of off topic, but oh yeah, <laughs> Marie Kondo. Yeah, that book blew my mind. And a couple of years ago, when I first read it, my sort of music office was completely different in here. I'd I'd keep all my stuff in the closet because you don't want to, like you said, you don't want it out and around. And I have six guitars in here, six guitars, two two amps, a keyboard. You can never have too many. Another, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but two clarinets. I mean, there's so much stuff, right? But now it's all within reach, and I can go from practicing guitar to bass, to keyboard, to clarinet, to working on stuff in like 30 second transitions now because I, I got rid of all the clutter, I hung up all my stuff. I, I, instead of in the closet now, I, I keep it out and about where I can easily just grab it and play. It used to take me 15 minutes to set up my amp, find my cable, grab my guitar case from the bottom of the pile of six I was looking for, you know? And now they're just all kind of here and it's, it's great. I, I practice so much more and I can look at the things that I like in my room. It's so cool. Yeah, because they are beautiful. They're they are beautiful of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So, no, I love what you're doing. I love the direction you're, you're taking this. And I love that someone after 100 years has finally come along and thought we could use a better music stand. Thanks. <laughs> so thank you so much for your, your efforts in that regard. Was there anything else you want to share with our audience before we wrap up? I mean, we can all check out the Indiegogo page at noisyclan.com. And uh, that's where you can make your purchase. But uh, I was wondering if there's anything else you can share with me about the... No, I mean, I just very much appreciate chatting with you. I love, you know, musicians are such a quirky, awesome <laughs> breed. It's, it's, it's cool. I mean, that's what... I've been a designer for my entire life. So it's kind of really fun to bring the two together. Well, if you're listening to the 
episode today on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, or Amazon, or anywhere like that. The episode will end here. But if you're listening behind the scenes in the Patreon community, thank you so much for supporting the show. But we're going to have a couple extra questions for David, and then we will wrap up today's episode. So thank you so much for listening. Check out the website at noisyclan.com. There's also some great YouTube reviews of this product, which might help you kind of understand a little bit better what it does. Hope I can get my hands on one, and maybe I'll post one too in the, in the coming months here. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining us today here on the Clarinet Podcast. And thank you, David, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to check out some of the past ones as well. There's over 160 conversations now with amazing guests from Martin Frost, all the way to Eddie Daniels, Corrado Giuffredi, and many, many others. If you want new episodes of the show right to your device, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to get ad-free versions that are extended and let out the real Claire nerd in you, you can check out the extended version at clarinet.com slash subscribe. You can get access for as little as $1 per month. Today in the extended edition, David shares some more thoughts on design, including a book that everyone should read on the subject, and why he goes for a walk every single day. In the last few moments of the episode, I'd like to dedicate it to listener questions and thoughts. There was nothing that came in this week. Well, there was a few things, but they're not worth airing on here. Um, if you do contact me via the uh, speak pipe button, which is the voicemail on the website, I'd have to ask that you leave a little more information. Some people are going on there, but they're just leaving a phone number, and I don't really call random phone numbers. So if you do have a message, use that medium as your means to leave the message, and I will get back to you if you do leave a message on there. But I want to make an announcement of my own this week, or rather a request. And this request is something that I've been looking into a long time ever since I started the podcast. But there is a man named Jimmy Hastings and he lives in the UK and I've always wanted to invite him on as a guest on the show. Um, I know he's a doubler. I know he, I think he's retired at this point. Um, But anyway, he recorded and performed on several occasions with Radiohead, which as you know, is a band I'm hugely uh, popular, or sorry, it it is hugely popular, but I'm hugely a fan of. (laughs) And uh, I just wanted to talk to him for absolutely ever, but there's a special reason that I can't go into yet that I'd especially like to talk to him right now um, in particular. So if you do know Jimmy Hastings or know of anyone who might know Jimmy Hastings, please get in touch with me. You can leave me a voicemail at clarinet.com by clicking the voicemail button, as I just said, or you can send me a message or an email directly to hello at clarinet.com. And even if you just want to say hi, I do love hearing from fans and listeners all over the world. It's really nice to hear from from everyone. And you can reach me there. I do reply to all messages that do come in. So if you send me a message at hello at clarinet.com, I will get back to you. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Legere Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Legere artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Corrado Giuffredi, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with a great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and the bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot com. The new Bakun Q-series clarinet features a completely redesigned bore inspired by the Bakun Custom Series clarinets. This means you can play and perform like the pros, but for less. Use code CLARINET at BakunMusical.com to save 10% on your entire purchase and try the Bakun Q-Series or Protégé Clarinet risk-free for 30 days. Just pay the return shipping if you aren't fully satisfied. Shop now at BakunMusical.com and use code CLARINET at checkout.
I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I look forward to seeing you next time on the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists.